This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with Reed Dent and Josh Basset to discuss Psalm 13. Hello. What's up, guys? One of my personal favorites. Really? Oh, that says something maybe interesting about you, Brent. This is such a such a forlorn kind of psalm, and it's your favorite one, or one of your favorites. Okay. I mean, 13 is my favorite number. It was before Taylor Swift came on the scene, wow. just for the record. Oh, wow. Basically, for the same reasons that it's her favorite number, though. That, oh, really? <laughs> why, why is it her favorite number? I think she was born on the 13th, uh, 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 some uh. other connections like that. I turned 13 on Friday the 13th. Look at this. Look at this. What a, what a strange life you've led. <laughs> fun fun fact, though, about 13, it's in, in Judaism, it's associated with love. Oh. Because the word, the gematria of the word ahava is 13. Uh, gematria? Are you a jif guy? Gematria. Oh, yeah. I'm a, <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. I think I might have switched that. As I was saying it, I'm like, why are you saying gematria? You always say gematria. <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. I was overtaken by the spirit, it seems. It is gematria and it is gif. Animated gif. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you there. Hard hard G's for both. This episode went off the rails quickly, Reed. I've, <laughs> what, I've, what are we doing? I've here? hardly said anything. Nice. <laughs> uh, we are we you you brought up Taylor Swift immediately. She is everywhere. Um nothing I can do about that. Nothing. Uh, but I can say, yes, here we are talking about the Psalms uh, in this series that we're doing. This is our first one with Josh. We're going to do a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start. I just want to start by talking a little bit about Psalms generally with you, Josh. And I want to hear, like, are you a Psalms kind of guy? Um, mm. What's your experience with Psalms? Like, what do you do with them, if anything? Uh, what are your feelings about the Psalms? Like, I remember kind of infamously when Marty did the earlier original Bema episode on Psalms, he talked about how he hated them. Yeah. So are you a love guy, hate guy with the Psalms? Where are you at? I'm, I'm definitely in the love camp. I, uh, I, I'm personally a pretty creative person. So I, I like the, uh, I like all the poetry in the text. Um, I, I think like individual Psalms are sometimes hit or miss, but I, think that is because they are more artistic, more emotionally evocative. And so if you're not feeling a Psalm, sometimes you're like, all right, that's, you know, so that's not for me, I guess. But no, I love Psalms. I've got a couple life Psalms. I've got uh, a couple. Is that even allowed? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, when I was trying to figure it out, it, it came down to two and I, okay. I thought it was one, but then some things happened in my life. I'm like, Oh, maybe it's the other one. And I don't, mm. is it like a really personal, like overly intimate question to ask you which ones? Oh, you can't, you no, you can't ask that. You can't ask that. I mean, you can ask, but you're not supposed to tell anybody your life song. I've never, is this a thing, a life song? I don't know about this as a as a concept. Yeah. Oh, Reed, you oh are you are showing your cards oh that you have goodness. not listened to all the Bayma podcast. <laughs> do they talk about life psalms in the Bayma podcast? Where does this happen? We do. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is it? What's Jesus's life psalm, Brent? We know this. If you're answer, if you're at home, psalm, you can answer. Psalm twenty two. Psalm twenty two. Yeah, the crucifixion one. I would have guessed that. It w- it would have been probably somewhere at the end of session three when we talked about the. Well, fiction, I think let it be known that I have listened to session three and I've listened to almost all of the Bama podcast. I'm proud to say that didn't used to be the case. It's also possible. We talked about it in the Psalms episode uh, 44. Mm. It's also possible. We talked about it in maybe 24. 
when Marty first talked about his disciplines. Okay. Well, never mind then. We'll just leave that topic alone. I'm not Ooh, going okay. to expose Josh and his life psalms. That's right. Um, but that's good to know. In the in the intro episode, um, which at this point has not yet come out, so you haven't heard it, Josh, I did talk a little bit about how like growing up I was way more of like a Proverbs Ecclesiastes mm. writings kind of guy than a Psalms kind of guy, because I just the the wiliness of like evocation and Mm. emotions and stuff just really did not compute with me. I was like, I need the, Oh, like I, I I talked to, I talked about, you know, Proverbs, like a fool gives full vent to his anger. And then you have all these Psalms that are really angry. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what to do with this. Like I was, you know, (laughs) short circuiting buffer wheel. So I was, I didn't used to be a Psalms guy, but I've, I've kind of become one more over the years as I have, gotten on with life and had more life experiences Mm. um okay well yeah that is i I do have a very different relationship with psalms than any other book of the bible because it's very hard like the all the bema type like analytical deep dive stuff i i don't know how to do that with the psalms like there's Mm -hmm. there's some i guess like psalm uh, 119 like there's a there's an acrostic running through it. Yeah. And there are some of like the creation Psalms that yeah. kind of deal with like the Canaanite mythology and the creation stuff there, you know, and the mm-hmm. waters and the sea gods and that kind of stuff. But I think for the most part, I really agree with you. Maybe this Psalm that we're doing today, even in particular, uh, I mean, it's it's six verses. It's very kind of raw and punchy and to the point, very emotional. So it's harder to do that kind of Bema-y type stuff with it. But you know what? Maybe we're just we're reclaiming what it means to be Bema with these <laughs> episodes now, right? Yeah, it doesn't all have to be intellect. Yeah, no, definitely not. Of course not. Um, cool. Well, welcome to the the Psalms series. Uh, it's I'm I'm looking forward to where this is going to go. Um, here we go, Brent. Can we do Psalm 13? Can you dial it up for us? You know, Rita, I think that we maybe haven't talked about it because I'm not finding it in any search of the transcripts. Life Psalms. Yeah. Am I being vindicated right now? I wow. offhandedly, <laughs> I offhandedly alluded to it in episode one twenty nine, the final week. But Marty does not explain it, and we holy moly! Sorry, okay. Let the record show that I am sitting back in a posture of victory with my arms up in the air. Yeah, that I have been vindicated. I'm an idiot for many reasons, but not because I don't know what a life psalm is. No, you're doing the the Russell Crowe gladiator pose. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> That's right. Am I not vindicated? <laughs> yeah, am I not vindicated? <laughs> thumbs down. Oh, no, we're okay. being given the Let's thumbs go. down. Let's go. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. Psalm 13. I can't believe we haven't. I, we had to have talked about this somewhere. <laughs> the idea is, Reed, when, when you die, mm. you want to have one of two sets of words on your lips, either the Shema or your life psalm. And the life psalm is a personal intimate nobody else knows what it is sort of thing oh Mm, okay so i suppose you would learn it in someone's death but while you're alive nobody is supposed to know your life song that's also tradition to be honest if if it had gone on naturally i would have i would have spilled the beans i would have told you all all my little secrets tradition i'm glad we saved you i'm glad we saved you from doing that It's like is it's it's like if they know if somebody knows it's your life psalm, it is no longer allowed to be your life psalm. Oh wow. I don't know. Man. I don't know. Okay. Well, Psalm thirteen then. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Josh, I know I sent you some notes on this, but are you like, had you been familiar before with this framework of Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation and Psalms of new orientation? We talked about it in the intro episode. Yeah, no, no, that it wasn't until I saw your notes for the series, uh, but I, I really liked it as soon as, as soon as I heard it, it like, it really clicked. I, I think that's a super helpful framework. Yeah. And you know, people have tried to, uh, and I don't mean try as in, I, I don't say that in a judgy way, like they've tried and they failed. Like people have come up with lots of different kinds of ways of categorizing and, um, mm -hmm. schematizing the Psalms and that's all well and good. And this is another one of those. This is not like baked into the fabric of the Psalms themselves. Um, but it comes from a book, the message of the Psalms by Brueggemann. Um, that we encountered at CCF like years and years ago. And we've kind of always used it whenever we return to the Psalms. Um, and so just to really quickly recap that, um, there's the Psalms of orientation where um, it's like coming from this place of well-being. They evoke a lot of gratitude for the blessings of God, for the orderliness of creation. There is like a sense of security. There are songs, Psalms of disorientation um, that come from seasons of like hurt or uh, suffering, alienation, death. And a lot of times these have a tone that's going to be uh, maybe kind of angry, maybe some self-pity, maybe some, um, resentment or even fear and anxiety. And then you've got Psalms of new orientation, um, where there is this like surprise breakthrough in the gifts of God, where you were in the pit and now you have been rescued. Like you were in despair and now you have joy. Um, and this Psalm, I think it's easy to say that this falls pretty squarely in the camp of disorientation. Mm -hmm. This is like a classic disorientation Psalm. However, the astute listeners and readers will already know that Actually, there is a turn kind of at the end, which we'll get to, um, where it comes kind of out of that disorientation a little bit. And so any of the Psalms, we might be able to say, yeah, it's kind of like this, but there are also um, elements of this other thing sprinkled in, which I think is just that's reflective of a lot of our life experiences. Like the, a lot of things that we go through are sort of mixed bag, right? It's not like we <laughs> maybe are... Uh, more like overridingly feeling despair or confusion. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments of rejoicing, remembrance, thanksgiving uh, mixed in there. Um, yeah. So I, I guess the, the question I want to open up with is uh, how would you describe, like what are some of the adjectives or the emotional sorts of words that you would use to describe the tone of Psalm 13? This is for both of you, like whatever you're picking up on as you read it. What's the feeling of it? I mean, I always focus on the end. Like if, I, if anything, if I had to classify this, I would call it a psalm of new orientation. Mm. And I realize like the, the current setting of the psalm mm -hmm. is this despair, this disorientation. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, even in the midst of that, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. Mm. It's like, well, I mean, it seems crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I would, I would, I focus on that end part. Okay. What about you, Josh? 
Mm, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I kind of feel the opposite. I feel it is very like there, there is a there to me. There's a real sense of abandonment, and and I think um, I, I was digging into this because I, I was looking at that little turn at the end, mm-hmm. and I was lo- looking specifically at the word for uh, when he says that God has been uh, good to he's good. been good to me. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the word tove. It's not the classic word for good. It's the word gamal, uh, which, uh, you know, people who are familiar with Hebrew might recognize because it's one of the letters of the alphabet. But the, the root word, it, it's primarily associated with like weaning a child. So in this, I, I kind of hear like, like a, a child that feels like it's been abandoned by his parent, but it's like, I, you still took care of me. So I'm not going to, I don't doubt you. I know that you still love me. I know that you're going to come and save me, but I'm just so alone right now. I, I, I'm getting bullied and I, I really want my mom to come pick me up, you know, like where's, Mm. where is God? Yeah. I mean, I definitely see both of those things. Um, For me, I would say it primarily has the feeling of disorientation Probably because, for one, two-thirds of it is kind of in that vein. But also, it just always strikes me the way that this psalm kicks off. Like, there are no sort of niceties, Mm -hmm. no formal introductions, right? Um, It just gets straight into these two, uh, I think, kind of classical, classic, like, psalmic kinds of words, how long, right? And this this is like a pretty powerful question, I think. It just, it's straight into it. How long? We don't even know specifically what's going on. We don't need to. That's the case with a lot of these Psalms. Um, It is this like, uh, I'm going straight for the jugular. I'm going to go straight to pleading my case. How long? And I always put the O there, by the way. Oh, Lord. I think it flows better. How long, oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? And how long is just a question that comes up in so many different Psalms of... Uh, that I would say are probably more like disorientation. You see it, uh, it also pops up in Job several times mm-hmm. where Job himself is saying how long. Um, also, people may recognize it from, uh, in Revelation, the martyrs are saying how long before you like rise up, you know, and mm-hmm. um, kind of plead our case and do justice. Um, yeah, so I, I it feels disorienting to me. It feels like... Um, there is this like uh, I was talking about with with Leanne, and she said, on the one hand, there's like this expectation that God should and even must do something. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it forever, right? Unless unless my eyes sleep death is like what the psalmist says a little later. There's this expectation that something has to change, and there's also at the same time like the fear that maybe it won't. Yeah. Yeah. The way I've always pictured this, mm-hmm. I don't know about always, but the way, the way that I like to picture this is like David wandering around mm. in the wilderness and he's been on the run maybe for a while and he's just walking in his thoughts and then he just kind of snaps and he's like, mm-hmm. how long am I going to do this, Lord? Mm-hmm. Are you going to forget about me forever? <laughs> yeah, no, I can totally see that. I mean, he talks about the enemies here. It definitely does feel like a. <laughs> I've already been waiting for a long time, and so it's almost like how much longer. I, I yeah. don't. I don't know. It, it, another way of saying it is like I don't know how much more I can take. Mm. Um, the 
it's it, there's anguish involved um and i think people will get different mileage out of this depending on like the level of like how how much it resonates with them um and maybe for some of us who've lived a little bit more comfortably where we haven't had like seasons of trouble prolonged seasons of trouble maybe we're looking at it more as outsiders um but certainly there are many among us who this is like this is their question you know this is their voice is being poured out onto the page mm. yeah let's let's talk a little bit about this word um forget uh i was talking to our resident hebrew expert l about this who is now our our teacher she's mm-hmm. doing lessons with us which is uh great and also difficult <laughs> some of her students are better than others i'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's up for L to de- up to L to decide. <laughs> She's been very gracious to me so far. I'll also, I'll also say that. <laughs> so, so there's this word for forget, and um, you know, one of the things that L talks about with Hebrew words is how they're concrete. And I was like, L, forget is kind of a, an abstraction. It's an abstract word. So, what's the what's the picture behind the word forget? And she said, there's actually two words uh, for forget. Uh, in the Hebrew. And one is uh, nasha. I don't know if I'm saying the emphasis right there. I don't know if it's nasha. Is it nasha, the second? Yeah, I think you said that right. So there's nasha, which is this sense of like, uh, almost like neglect, um, like a a more like what you were saying, Josh, like a, a willful kind of abandonment. Like I've tossed you aside and I'm moving on. Um, and I am like almost resolving to forget, like she said, it's kind of like when lovers break their commitment to one another and move on. And it's like, I'm going to forget you. Mm. That's not shot, but that's actually not the word that is in this Psalm. Um, the one that's in this Psalm is the word shahach, um, which she said, it's more like, uh, misplaced. Um, and now can't locate. Actually, this is, this is really funny. She said that the translation, the literal translation for the title of the movie Home Alone uses this word, <laughs> shahach, and, it, and it's, it's literally in English, it's mislaid myself in the home. <laughs> Which I was like, well, I don't, is it, is Kevin McAllister is not mislaying himself. He is being forgotten by his parents, but maybe that's actually kind of instructive for this, the difference in the kind of forgetting, right? Like when Kate and Peter McAllister forget Kevin at home, it's not like they decided to leave him at home. Like we don't want you around anymore. And so mm-hmm. get, get away from us, right? Yeah. They think they have him and they don't. It's almost accidental. And before we actually started recording, I said to Josh, I was like, I don't know if we should use the word accidental of the divine, but there is, <laughs> it is a little bit more, uh, according to what Elle was telling me, um, like it, it's a, a misplacement. Um, this is the same word like in Deuteronomy when the people are being warned be careful that you don't forget God when you settle down and when you're prospering and when things are going well for you. And it's almost like this sense of here's this thing that was treasured. And now for whatever reasons, whatever circumstances, like I, I kind of lost sight of it, you know, and not saying uh, that this is like, th- th- this is of course is uh, the psalmist perspective, right? This is what God has done. Like, I'm not saying God has thrown me out, but I've been lost. I've been misplaced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess a question that I have for you guys is, so think about the difference between 
those two words, nasha, like to be kind of tossed aside, thrown out, and then shahach, which is uh, like mislaid. My question is, um, does it change, I guess, the experience of the absence of God? Like, does it make it different or easier at all? Like, if you are the one who's in that place of God is away from me, and I'm not sure if he's coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's, what's the difference in your own mind? Uh, if, it, if you see it this way or see it that way, I, I mean, maybe it works, maybe it makes the end work because David is assuming like, Oh, like you didn't, you didn't intentionally throw me out. Like surely you just, and again, like obviously the caution about using the word accident, but like, maybe there's just some misunderstanding or maybe, maybe you're busy. Like there's just this there's this Ayn Tova of, yeah. of David and then saying like, yeah, I know like this sucks. This is terrible. I, I'm so sick of doing this day after day after day. Like my enemies are just uh, like, everything is terrible, but, but I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. Yeah, no, that's like exactly what I was going to say. It really sets up like the, a, a kind of consonant, tone from the beginning to the end because these two feelings coexist like david or uh, whoever wrote this you know they they do trust in god's faithfulness they don't stop trusting in god's faithfulness or salvation i mean it's like you know with a like will you hide your face from me like in this kind of a like divine peekaboo like you (laughs) believe that you'll see the face eventually it's not like you think that it's never going to happen but it that the the anxiety, the angst, the the kind of gruesome torment sometimes of just waiting and mm-hmm. and feeling like I know, you know, maybe you just forgot to check your phone. Maybe you maybe you just, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin McAllister style, maybe you just, you know, you have twelve kids <laughs> and you forgot one of them, or like, you know, it's it's circumstantial. You know, like there's there's a larger truth that the psalmist here trusts in and, and is able to acknowledge, but that doesn't mm-hmm. alleviate the the personal raw need. Yeah. I mean the, so that next line, um, I think it brings the, if, if some of the attention, uh, some of the tension is alleviated in this different sense, this, this maybe lighter sense of forget, I think it kind of gets dialed up a little bit in when, when the psalmist says, how long will you hide your face from me? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like uh, on the one hand, will you forget me forever? Feels like you aren't finding me, right? Like you've misplaced me. You're not finding me. I need you to find me. Uh, I need you to remember me. But then the next part is like, and I can't find you. Like, if you hide your face, what can I do? You know, I can't. I can't make you appear to me. Yeah. Um, I cannot make you show me your face if you're not. If you're going to hide it, so it it feels like maybe there's some intent there as well. Which again, like, I don't know. I just there's a how, how does anyone like accurately report on and perfectly characterize their experience with God, you know, and is it exactly like this? Did you misplace me like your keys or is it like you're playing peekaboo or are you hiding and running from me? Mm-hmm. It's like this whole mix of things, right? And all of this is getting expressed in the Psalm. Um, but Joshua, I was going to ask you, like, do you have any thoughts about this, uh, this idiom um, about a hidden face 
because uh, I think it's something that comes up elsewhere in scripture. And I'm not trying to like test you and put you on the spot, but just do you, do you have any thoughts on hiding the face? I was on Blue Litter and I decided to check into the word for hide. And hmm. the first time this specific word is used, you know, barring weird Blue Letter Bible redundancies and stuff, mm-hmm. the first time it's used uh, is also uh, using the same idiom to be hidden for for a hidden face mm. but it's Cain talking to God in Genesis 4 and what's interesting to me is that it's reversed it's not God hiding his face he says i will be hidden from your face and i think that maybe maybe this sheds some light on it cuz the the idea that you know not to to dive into all the nuance and complexity in Genesis 4 uh, but you know, the, the hiddenness of Cain is like, I, I will feel cut off like at some level because of his, his guilt for what he's done. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, he, he won't be able to face God. And I wonder if on some level, um, the psalmist is feeling like, 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 you know, when, when you have a friend and they like are acting weird for some reason and you're like, did I, did I do something? Like, are you are you hiding your face from me? Like, are you, Yes. are you intent? And I wonder if that's sort of the play here. He's like, you know, how long until you, you stop? Like, you know, how long until you answer my text? And then it's like, wait, are you intentionally ignoring me? Like, are you hiding your face from me? Cause that's what it, and I, I think it kind of, mm. you know, wh- when you are isolated, when you are alone, when you feel, abandoned even if it, we don't mean that and like intentionally abandoned but you are stranded wherever you are you're you're Yosef in Egypt in that vast like wasteland of loneliness there is you know there's so much time and so much churning of emotions and and it does kind of create these weird paradoxes of like yeah i trust that god will take care of me but wait did i do something wrong wait like is there did you just forget about me? Is this just circumstances? Are you just waiting for the right time? Or is it something more? Am I missing something here? Like that yeah. kind of cycle of turmoil to me feels very familiar in the, like the, the darkest times of my life. Like, yeah, I, I know what that feels like. And that, that I think is what they're talking about. Yeah. I'd like that you bring up the Kane story um, because the, it also shows up um, as like a, the, the hidden face of God is almost like a euphemism for exile. Mm. Um, there's a there's a, a bit in Ezekiel um, in chapter 39 um, where the word of the Lord says, the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin because they were unfaithful to me. So I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies and they all fell by the sword, mm-hmm. right? And so there is this like sense of, uh, not a sense of, like it's stated, like because of their sin, because of their unfaithfulness, now they go into exile. And this is the equivalent of like God hiding the face. And so there is like, a, I did do something. Mm-hmm. And um, what did I do? You know, and that's up to us to kind of reckon with and sort out like, what is our iniquity? What is our guilt? Um, but then there are also, um, oh, and by the way, uh, to add to, uh, a, a slightly hopeful note to that. Isaiah brings back up um, this euphemism as well uh, in chapter 54, where it says, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. Um, and I think this is talking about the exile, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Um, and it goes on to talk about restoring the people. Um, and so 
it's not a forever thing. Um, the hidden face is not forever. And so the, presumably the question, how long has, has an answer. And right. I don't know what that answer is, right? There's no way to put a timetable and be like, well, it'll be three weeks and then I'll show back up. I, I want to insert something really quick, which is that like that, that idea of like, will you forget me forever? Like if we're talking about exile, that's happening on two levels. There's an experience of exile that's happening for each individual Jew in exile. And then there is exile writ large that affects the whole nation. And so if you're crying out, like, will you forget me forever? What you just read in Ezekiel of like, yeah, some of them will just fall by the sword. Some of them, they personally, individually may not see that return. And that is part of the anguish, I think. Like if, yeah. So, so in those cases, like in the Cain story, um, or in these passages from Ezekiel and Isaiah, there is a, like, we know what we, we did, or we know that we did something at least. Um, and I don't know, maybe that, I don't know if that makes it easier. I don't know if that's the right word, you know, but you kind of know, but then, um, like I mentioned that this comes up in Job and Mm -hmm. in Job chapter 13, Job has just got done, gotten done specifically making the case. I didn't do anything, Mm -hmm. which any shout out to my Coen brothers fans and a serious man where that's like the refrain of the guy in the movie over and over. He just, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Yes. So Job has just finished saying I didn't do anything. And then he, and then he says, um, why are you hiding your face from me? And so sometimes, and I wonder if maybe that's the case in this psalm, in, in the psalm, like we don't know if the psalmist here has any guilt, like it's not really mentioned at all, right? As it is in some other psalms. Um, and maybe sometimes you have these experiences of like, well, I don't think I really did anything wrong. And yet I still find myself feeling like God is hiding uh, his face from me. And so what am I going to do about that other than just lament this, um, express it, you know? And even start making demands, uh, look at me and answer me, mm-hmm. which also feels very Job-like um, because Job starts to take on that tone with God many times of like, you have to show yourself to me and answer me. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I I promise I won't take make this a rabbit trail, but I my read on Job is that it's it's about the like the conundrum of what about the people that went into exile that personally didn't do anything wrong? They just got mm-hmm. caught up because... Uh, that's what was happening yeah. in the world around them. And that, yeah, that's, that's super potent. Like what if you personally did all the right things and you're still in exile and yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's just not like a discernible cause and effect kind of relationship with mm-hmm. the way that God shows up or doesn't show up. And it seems like the important thing that I can detect here, the, even the very existence of this Psalm is like, we just have to be able to, acknowledge it you know and there are other psalms like we did uh uh Bema listeners will hear us talk about psalm 139 which expresses the complete opposite sentiment like the the psalmist says where can i go from your spirit you hem me in behind and before if i go here you're there if i go there you're there god is everywhere mm-hmm. um and it is undeniable um so there is that side but i think sometimes we we who like our like assurances we like obviously we like presence we like comfort we like positivity if uh if 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 in ourselves or in the people who we're listening to are like man god's hiding his face there can be a tendency to like run too quickly to oh but you know god's everywhere mm-hmm. you know 
Um, and I'm reminded of uh, one of my, I know I talk about Beekner a lot, but one of my most favorite things, maybe that Beekner ever said uh, in his book, Telling the Truth, he said, if we don't take seriously, and I may have talked about this very quote on the show before, um, but he says, we have to acknowledge the visible absence of God in the world if we want to be taken seriously when we want to speak of what we claim to see as the invisible presence of God in the world. Mm. And so these Psalms are essential for acknowledging the visible absence. You're not here. And I mean, who among us in many different life situations, like wouldn't say, yeah, those are the right words. God is not here. God is hiding his face. Um, and, and then, yes, there are times where it's like all God is everywhere all the time. But if we're not going to be taken, I think, as a bunch of like chuckleheads who are just like in the optimist club, <laughs> uh, but people who are in touch with reality, like we got to have our Psalm 13s too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what is the distinction with Moses seeing God's face mm. where God says, you can't see my face because mm -hmm. nobody can see my face. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because Moses isn't actually even asking for that. Moses says, show me your glory. Mm. Well, and then also uh, later when Moses is being memorialized, it talked about, it talks about how Moses spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend face to face. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, and I, I, like, I think you get all, you get, I think every possible permutation in the in the text when it comes to the face of god you have yeah. <laughs> cain cain um being hidden from the face of god you have moses actually at the bush hiding his own face from god mm -hmm. moses hides his face when he's in front of the burning bush mm. um you have uh the communal aspect where god hides his face because you know like we we have guilt um, we have these individual experiences of the face of God being hidden for no discernible reason. Um, I, I think you kind of get it all. Uh, and I guess that's all I can say. Like there are, you know, and, and we, we, Brent, we talked in the intro, like about Psalms are kind of for every season of life. Um, and if we're gauging the nature of a season by how close or far or visible or invisible is the face of God, then I think you kind of get it all. Yeah. It just makes me wonder what David's perspective would be like, what his expectations are for seeing God's face. Like, is he, is he legitimately expecting God to turn around and say like, Oh, here's my face. I don't know. I mean, I, I read it as like, uh, or what makes sense in my own life is, so actually, let's move on to the next uh, the next couple of verses. You've got, um, can you read verse uh, two, actually? Just read verse two, Brent. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So this makes sense to me as the hidden face of God manifest in somebody's life. What I'm carrying around is sorrow all the time. And to see the face of God is rejoicing. It's shalom. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's trust. It's all of that. But these long periods of anguish, anxiety, enemies triumphing over us, that to me is kind of another way of talking about the hidden face. An utter loneliness. How yeah. long must I wrestle with my thoughts? <laughs> yes. yes. And, and in fact, the word there for like your own thoughts is uh, the word for to, to receive counsel. So there's also this aspect mm -hmm. of like normally you would get counsel from other people from your community. And it's like he's saying, like, I, I have, I'm just like 
Yeah. You know, hammering this out all by myself inside my own head. Like I don't have anyone to come for me. I don't have anyone to shed light on this situation. I'm just doing everything I can to get through each day. Where the heck are you? So my question um, surrounding this verse is uh, for maybe, uh, maybe more for Josh who works like in a pastoral role, a discipling role mm. with folks, but is what are helpful and unhelpful responses to folks who are in this place of keeping my own counsel in sorrow all the day, enemy triumphing over me. Like when that's the experience of a person, what's, what's helpful, what's unhelpful. Oh man. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, I, I think even within that there is like, you know, a, a fractal multitude of different circumstances, but with that, you know, mm-hmm. caveat up front, um, I mean, you kind of touched on the most, uh, unhelpful, or at least the most unhelpful initial response, which is like, uh, you, you silly goose. Don't you know, God's everywhere. Like I, I live in this mm-hmm. fairy garden where I can just see God in everything. I can see it in the coffee stain on my napkin. Isn't that great? Why don't you enjoy that? <laughs> Why don't you enjoy my coffee stand? You're painting a very vivid picture, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> good. Keeping it concrete. So I think, you know, when when I am confronted by someone in this situation, I think the the first thing to do is to, well, to, to try and, you know, uh, uh, get a, a concrete sense of what they're what their suffering actually is. Because to go back to your Beekner quote, like all the stuff we're talking about here is very subjective. It's it's invisible. It's spiritual. It is something that can't be like there's no mathematical description of how any of this works. And I mean, I think and anyone out there, especially if you've ever, you know, dealt with mental health issues, like there isn't necessarily a rhyme or reason to why, like not just when God does or doesn't show up, but also why you feel this or that way on a particular day. And so really being able to, you know, articulate fully and, and and understand specifically, like, what is this, what is this suffering you're experiencing? Like, you know, you're talking about, you're wrestling with your thoughts. You're talking about, um, you know, being, being triumphed over like what, like, Tell me specifically what you're talking about. Who is this enemy that you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and that's yeah. not to undercut, like, do you really have an enemy or is it you? Are you no, just no, no. like, but, but I, well, and I, I'm not putting those words in your mouth. I'm saying like, right. sometimes when you go down that line of questioning, it's easy to then grab the easy answer of, well, maybe if you had a better attitude or, you know, mm. if you, uh, you know, went to therapy, then all your problems would go away. And that's, mm-hmm. you know. It's not necessarily true, but the thing is, is I, for me, what's most potent, especially when someone is in a time where they're suffering is that, uh, you know, it, we, we talk about, um, the partnership we have with God a lot, and that's like a primary metaphor for our relationship with God. The other primary relationship with God, the scripture talks about is that of a parent and child, right? And so if someone's suffering more than likely they need a parental presence of God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think about it like, okay, if, if, if I'm their parent, if God is their parent, first of all, I want to know, Hey, what's wrong? Why are you crying, buddy? What happened? Did a bee scare you or do you have a broken leg or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things and some of them can be fixed. Some of them, you know, sometimes the answer to this Psalm is just to hug someone. 
You know, sometimes it's just for you to be like, yeah, that you don't deserve what's happening to you. Um, right. And, you know, maybe when you hear it, maybe the answer flips around and does end up being like, hey, you know, you talked about that one person in your life who you do feel really comforted by. Maybe that is how God is presenting in your life right now. Maybe you can trust in that presence. And so, you know, that that's that's where it, it, I yeah. think you really just got to journey with people and and uh, and hear the cry and and um, mm. react accordingly. I guess that's the yeah. Man, that's a that's a great answer. <laughs> thank you. I think this this is why this is why you're doing what you're doing, <laughs> yes. Josh. Yes. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind of the easy answers. The triumphalism has to take a back seat. <laughs> you know, the like we're more than conquerors. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a time, and I, I actually, I, I talked about this um, a, a while back when we did uh, the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha mm-hmm. and Jesus' response to the two of them. But I have a friend, a close friend, Chris Nation, one of the most beautiful souls you'll ever meet. Uh, he works as a pastor of grief and loss at a church in St. Louis. And um, we had a friend, a close college friend, who tragically lost a child some years ago. And we were getting ready to go visit him. And uh, I said, Chris, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to say, you know? And he just said, Hey, grief is a dance and you have to kind of let them lead and you have to see where the steps are going. And there is like an art to it. You know, there's a feeling it out. There is a discerning. Um, But I think what happens when we're like, when we have good intentions, when it's like, oh, you you feel like God's face is hidden from you and you have sorrow in your heart, like, let me give you the more than conquerors verse. Like, that may be well-intended, but it's kind of just like stepping all over their feet, yeah. right? And now we're both tripping and it's not helpful and it maybe hurts even more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see where they're at, it's it's not really for me to decide where somebody should be, right? Yeah. It's 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 for me to recognize kind of where they are and, and just help them give a voice to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're being, like me being able to hear them and to f- do whatever I can to help them express whatever it is that's actually, and that's, that's why I love that these Psalms are as much holy writ as Romans 8, right? Where like this is canonized. This is inspired, you know, to use the mm-hmm. word, and I'm using that self-aware, but like to this, this has as much a place in the Holy word of God as any of the other like positive uh, conquering victory kind of stuff. And so we've got to be able to make room for all of that when recognizing wherever, you know, whatever somebody's kind of going, going through. I want to call, I really like that, that image of the dance too, because, you know, most of the times when you're dancing, you're moving in a circle, right? <laughs> but you also will probably not end up in the same place you started. Mm. And uh, mm. and I feel like that's a lot of times, especially in Psalms of disorientation. A lot of times it feels like you are, you know, in a in a dryer, just you know, on tumble, and <laughs> uh, mm. that and it can feel like that, like you're trapped in it. But I think the more we uh, explore it and are able to emotionally connect. Mm. the more we can see that it, it, the process of these Psalms like helps us dance with these feelings and uh, arrive at some place 
different than we were when we started. Well, yeah. And the, and, and like, think about a dance as different from like a three-legged race, right? It's not a three-legged race where you're bound together and trying to get to a certain finish line, but like in a dance, the movement is the thing. The movement together is the thing. And so it kind of doesn't matter like where the point of a dance is not to like get somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. it's to, to move together to experience and express something. Yeah. And it's relational. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. Um, okay, Brent, you got anything to add to that? I was just going to say episode 382, if anyone wants to revisit that conversation. Okay, uh, let's go on to verse 3 and 4, please. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Yeah, so I definitely do not have the expertise or the authority to strike <laughs> words uh, or to say what I think a translation should be. Um Alter actually, he he points out in his uh, he 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 instead of I will sleep in death, he just renders it as I will sleep death. Like there's no preposition of in, um, and he like just talks about the poetic power of I will sleep death as opposed to I will sleep in death. And I agree. Like I think that's a a more powerful grouping of words, and it really struck me. Yeah. And the kind of contrast between sleeping death, like one, you're sleeping, and two, it's death. It's like as dark as dark can be. And that's contrasted with this image of give light to my eyes. Um, And I don't actually know that I have a lot to add on this verse other than I just notice like kind of a sense of desperation almost. And maybe even a little like there's this added sense of urgency here where now demands are being made. It's not a question anymore. It's look on me and answer. Um, and just again, to point out, this is OK. We can do away with de- the decorum when it comes to how we address God. Not saying that we should be like irreverent simply for the sake of being irreverent, like we're cool middle school punk rock kids or something. Yeah. Um, but we can be honest about this and do away with all of, you know, the dressing. Uh, if what we mean to say is look at me and answer, yeah. you know? Hmm. Um, but so I don't, I, I noticed that I don't have a lot else to say. I, I noticed the, again, the expression, give light to my eyes, like the light in the eyes is I think also, um, an idiom that pops up in other places in the text. Josh, I didn't know if you had any, um, thing about that. Um, I'm recalling like, is, am I remembering wrong that when Moses dies, it talks about the light still being in his eyes? Maybe oh, I have that expression wrong. That, that might be the case. Um, I mean, I, I, and, and maybe in other, I think there's another couple of places. It's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, it could just be like vitality. You know, and you, people talk about the, the life in your eyes, the light in your eyes. And um, if you have good friends who are kind of tuned into your rhythms and you're not doing too well, they'll be like, something behind the eyes seems different, you know, but I, I don't know if you had anything on that. Well, I, and I think you pulled out something like normally, yeah, when you talk about the light in someone's eyes, you're not contrasting it with darkness. You're contrasting it with like dullness. Right. Mm, And so what you talked about with this contrast between light and this like dark, like doubling down of sleep and death being kind of jammed together in this kind of messy, poetic, uh, uh, well, not portmanteau, but you know, it it just kind of crushes them together without the right grammar Mm -hmm. (laughs) being there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that, you know, especially because the specific thing that the psalmist is asking for is, an answer, a res- like not an answer, like a solution, but some kind of response. A response. And yeah. especially when I think of like the, the verse following that talks about like, you know, this triumph of his enemies and him being shaken. Like, 
to me that I, I think it's it all emphasizes that image of sleep. I, I will sleep death. Like, you know, other than the obvious like doubling of the darkness, I think it's also this idea of, of um, kind of like Jonah in the boat where it's like danger is imminent, mm-hmm. but you're asleep. Like you're, you're that mm. drowned in despair where you're, you've, you've just, you've given up, you've given up, you're sleeping, you know, death is coming for, you, and you're like, whatever, let, let it come. And he's like, if I don't hear from you, then like, why, why, why am I fighting back? Why am I wrestling with my own thoughts to try and get through this exile? Like, why not just give up? And then, and, and he kind of answers it both by like playing the scene out. My enemies will say I've overcome him. They'll see how shaken I am. And they'll be like, Oh, we've, he's broken. He's totally broken. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And especially yeah. saying, like, I, I love that it has that word there. He doesn't just say, answer me, O Lord. Um, let, me, let me make sure. Yeah, look on me, right? Yep. Like, yep. pay yep. attention. Actually consider what I'm going through. I am on the edge of breaking. I am so close to just total despair, and I, I need I need something. I just need an answer. And to me, that image is like, you know, again, to use the, like, parent-child image, it's like a kid curled up in a ball covering his eyes, even though he knows that won't, you know, save him from the the bullies or whatever. And just saying like, Hey, if I hear your voice, I'll have the courage to, you know, unravel myself from this fetal position, open my eyes, face what's in front of me. I just need to know that you are still there. You're still with me. There's still like this relationship is still here. Well, good call on Moses. It doesn't say, it doesn't use the word light, but it says his eyes were not weak or dim. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. His eyes were not dim. Yeah. There we go. That's good. I think of, I think of the, like the piling on effect at this point mm. leading to the desperation and the punctuation is not inspired. So it's hard to know exactly <laughs> if this is how we should read it. But that first sentence, look on me and answer, Lord, my God, period. And then it's like, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice. And when I fall, it just feels like this, like weight on top of weight on top of weight Mm -hmm. and this desperation Mm. calling out to God, like really please answer me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you know, I, you're right. Yeah. I didn't even notice this before, but, uh, uh, it starts with the enemy being singular. And then the second part of that couplet, it's, it's plural. So yeah, there's this like cascading, effect of like Mm -hmm. you know my enemy will overcome me and then all my foes will throw a big party Mm. like it's yeah yeah Yeah, and singular enemy in verse two as well so yeah yeah so that's really interesting because i hadn't noticed this before but i'm really glad you guys are pointing this out the like crescendo that is building the piling on it's getting magnified and worse and then you get to verse five brent and six please but i trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Mm. Yeah. So, so you get this, what began as kind of a concern, uh, not kind of what began as a concern over being (laughs) forgotten by God ends with a remembrance of what God has been to the psalmist. I will sing. He has been good to me. Um, And you see the, the kind of emotions are starting to shift. There's like a transmutation happening where, what began as maybe like anger or anguish is turning it. We get the word rejoicing. Um, what what begins as I, I think that kind of fear or that desperate fear 
um, I'm not going to make it, uh, turns into trust. Like that word is used. I will trust in your unfailing love. Um, does the, and maybe we've already addressed this a little bit, but I'll just ask it more directly. Does this turn strike either of you as sudden? Um, and like, what kind of, uh, do you imagine any time passing? Like what kind of time do you imagine passing between verses four and five? What kind of experience do we imagine transpiring between verses four and five? Um, and then what effect does the shift have on you as the reader? It's like a pot boiling over. I think mm. I think it's the same thing that I see at the beginning of the psalm where there's this aimless wandering for who knows how many days or weeks or months I don't even know. Mm. And then and then there's this outburst like how long is this going to go on and then just everything just begins to cascade out of him. And then it gets to the very end and it's like all of my enemies are rejoicing when I fall. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much of a fall that is. Like if that's, if that's just like, Oh, they're just going to be happy when I trip over a rock. Or is that like (laughs) when I fall into death or whatever it is? Yeah. Like they're rejoicing. And then it's, and then maybe it's just like a a really deep breath. Like, Oh, Mm. okay. I love, yeah. I've had all this stuff built up inside and I just needed to get it out. And it's like, okay, yep. That's how I feel, but you've been good to me. Mm. And so I'm going to trust. It's a, it's a release valve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that image of the deep breath. I, I think too. So I, I just checked it in the Hebrew. Uh, the word for rejoice is the same in both uh, four and five. So there is this kind of, uh, yeah. I, I do th- like, I, I love the, the emotional arc of everything you just described, Brent. So this isn't me poo pooing your idea, but Hey, not, not, we can have a boss a versus billings showdown <laughs> if you want, like whatever I'll, I'll do it when it's necessary, but I just, I like both of these. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, you know, porque no los dos. We're going with both. I like that one. I also like kind of with what you were pointing out read of like this crescendo, like there is this rising tension and I, I feel like there is this very instantaneous, like polarity shift where now I'm the one rejoicing. And I feel like it all kind of comes from this, uh, this circling, this churning on all the fears and anxieties that happen when you're, when you just are greeted with silence, because silence can mean a million things. You never know what's actually behind that. You don't know why God is hiding your face. Did you do something wrong and you didn't know it? You thought you were one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wait, no, I'm also, you know, a, a piece of crap. Like I'm, I'm also, you know, guilty. And that's why this is happening. And God doesn't like me anymore. Is that what's going on? Or is it, mm. and that, that despair that like they're rejoicing, because I have fallen, like I am, regardless of whether that means like they died or whatever, like you are in the pit of despair, they're rejoicing. And I think at that moment, having played that out, kind of like what you were talking about, Brent, like you've explored that feeling, you've taken it to the furthest end, you've seen yourself like, yeah, if this is true and this is true and God really hates me now and we're going to be stuck here forever and we're going to be just dissolved in this 
exile dissolved into this empire and no one's going to remember us. We're all going to fall apart. And playing out this scenario, all of a sudden he's like, wait, that would never happen because, because I do trust in God. And, and it's like that having played it out, all of a sudden it's like this snap where all of a sudden, you know, uh, like if this was an action scene, like, you know, like the, they've been piled on by, you know, 18 different bad guys. And all of a sudden they do the, like the anime, like they just stand up and, you know, do a pose and everyone just flies off and there's like an energy beam or whatever. Like it's, it's this snap of like, Nope, that, that could never happen because I, God took care of us. I remember the desert. We were in Egypt. Like we've, mm-hmm. we've been here before. We've, we've rejoiced in this salvation before. We're going to rejoice in it again. And you know what the craziest thing is? I just looked up the word for rejoice. And at least according to, uh, Jesenius, the root idea of it is to go in a circle or to dance. Yeah. And isn't that just, exactly what we've been talking about he's like oh wait no this is the dance this is all right we're we're in the you know it's it's like the the halftime thing where like you come Mm -hmm. into it and you're like oh boy like yeah we're getting our butts kicked yeah we're we're not we're not doing great and then all of a sudden they're like no no we're gonna we're gonna win and and that i i think that that's a really yeah i uh, what about this too uh if i'm gonna put on my my sort of uh, Christ glasses here for a second and read through the lens of like the experience in the life of Christ. Like what if, what if it's not like, what if, what if there is like the enemies overcoming, mm-hmm. right? Like what if there is the fall, right? The salvation is not, I didn't fall. I wasn't overcome. Yep. Right. Like what if things actually go horribly and there, there is reason for our enemies to rejoice. And yet even somewhere beyond that, Uh, Like, I actually like your image of the guy being piled on completely and then like standing up and I'm just like, oh, it's a resurrection. You know, it's it's like, oh, the 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 enemy of death, like, you know, couldn't couldn't hold. And there was rejoicing overcoming. And yet the salvation is beyond that. It's not it's not um, doesn't mean I don't go through it. It means that I go through it. And on the other side, I still find that I am like singing the praises of God because God has been good to me, even in the sleep of death, et cetera, et cetera. Ugh. Which also that, that word uh, it uses the word chesed there, which mm-hmm. uh, unless we've also forgotten to talk about chesed for the entirety of <laughs> everyone should be familiar with, you know, <laughs> the love, the, the Avraham hospitality thing. Mm-hmm. I was looking back and the first time that's used is when Lot is fleeing from the destruction of Sodom. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, if I was, if I was Lot in that moment and, you know, having to, uh, fall on God's chesed, fall on God's compassion. You know, there, there's a long stretch where you could look at it and be like, yeah, they fell. But if you trace it long enough, then it's like, well, wait a second. A couple, you know, a couple generations online, we have Root. And then Root gets tied in with David. And, you know, it's it's like there's this, mm-hmm. uh, that that trust that uh, of of the unfailingness of god's love i like that the the, this translation uses unfailing like Mm -hmm. regardless of what happens regardless of how far we fall resurrection it's like what what can't resurrection fix like if if resurrection's on our side then Mm -hmm. 
then it is actually okay if everything goes wrong. Wow. Well, I had another note or two in here, but I actually think that it's this is the best place to wrap up this discussion. I don't think we get any better than that. Um, so I think uh, we can let it lie there. And uh, Brandon, unless you have anything else to add, you can probably go ahead and get us out of here. I can't speak against that. So everyone can go to baymondeception.com to find the show notes. We've got a couple of references in there. I don't know. I'm assuming you've referenced telling the truth by Beekner before. I would probably link that. I don't know. But anyway, all that stuff that we referenced will be in the show notes and everything else that you need is on the website as well. So thanks for joining us on the Baymond podcast this week. We'll talk to you again soon. There are other psalms, like we did, uh, um, Marty and I talked about Psalm 139, which just it's, it expresses the total you opposite. You mean you will talk about 139. We will have talked about 139 <laughs> when it releases. We have already, to the listener in the future, time warp weird thing. Also, happy Leap Day, everyone. Yeah. For the big Leap Day fans. <laughs> what a time. The the hidden day, as <laughs> yes. you were saying. We're really breaking ground here with Bema. Uh is this Brent, is this the first Bema episode ever released on a leap day? I'm sure it is. Wow. 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 Good job, guys. We did it. Twenty twenty was the only other year, the only other leap year since then. And what are the chances that it falls on a Thursday? Uh yep, nope. It did not. So, so anyway, in first, the future, first leap day episode. In the future, after this leap day, uh, Bema listeners will hear us talk about Psalm one thirty nine, which expresses the complete opposite sentiment. What about life? What about life psalms? Will those be in the <laughs> show? No-, no, they won't because they've never been referenced before. <laughs> um, hey, that's great, and it was. Look at that super short episode. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing we're doing so good oh man uh man good stuff guys thanks yeah thanks for your yeah. contributions that was a great discussion of course this is a lot of fun yeah